This is New England Patriots running back and three-time Super Bowl champion James White. You're listening to the Two Minute Drill. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Two Minute Drill podcast. I'm Adam, and as usual, I'm joined by Kevin Dan. And today, as we sit here, we are two weeks away from one of the biggest free agent periods in Patriots history. They are sitting at around 60 to $65 million in cap space, which would be plenty enough to make some key additions to the team. Before we dive any further into that, Dan was lucky enough to secure an interview with Ole Miss tight end in 2021 NFL draft prospect Kenny Yaboa. That audio will begin right now. Welcome back to another episode of the Two Minute Drill. Today we've got Ole Miss tight end and 2021 NFL draft prospect Kenny Yaboa. Uh, nice to have you here, Kenny. Just want to jump right into it with um, this past offseason. So before your final season of college football, you decided to leave Temple and spend your final season of eligibility at Ole Miss. What factors played into your decision to leave Temple and what made you choose Ole Miss? So really, um, it was just a big, it was a big thing with my parents um, towards the end of the season. I mean, I knew I had great capability to be a great tight end. I used to watch a lot of tight ends, catch a lot of passes and things like that. But at Temple, I mean, I was basically used as like a blocker, like a run blocker. So I mean, I just knew I had more to offer. So at the end of my season, I decided to enter the transfer portal uh, explore my options. A lot of schools messaged me, but I decided to go with Coach Rule, something that I know, and Coach Foley. Coach Foley coached me at Temple. He was my tight ends coach, and Coach Rule, obviously, he was at Temple, and then he went to Baylor. And so I was, yeah. I was going there, so decided to go there. But then I remember I was visiting my uncle down in Maryland, and I saw on TV when I was getting a haircut, Coach Rule got the Panthers job, and I was like, dang. So, I mean, I was still fine with Baylor. I also just wanted to go to a bigger school just to show people that I could play against better talent and play against, like, the best of the best. So, I mean, really, after that, I was still cool with Baylor. But then Ole Miss, Coach Lebby had followed me. He's the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss now. He was the offensive coordinator at UCF. Uh, UCF Temple, same conference, American conference. So, he watched me, and he knew who I was. So, I messaged him. I was like, hey, Coach, like, can I talk to you real quick? He sent me his number right away called him and then he told me he wanted me to come visit Ole Miss so I mean it was a no-brainer I was like wow I could play in the SEC now so it was just like the flip pretty much just switched like that so I went down there visited there and I also knew they had Coach Kiffin they just hired Coach yep. Kiffin and Coach Kiffin Coach Harrison Bryant who won the Mackey last year caught a lot of balls um, played a pivotal role in their offense at FAU so I mean it was just kind of a no-brainer really just to go to Ole Miss that's really how that whole thing unfolded. <laughs> Yeah, so you mentioned briefly in the beginning of that that um, Temple, they were kind of using you more as a run blocker. Um, I think that was reflected in your statistics that, you you know, you weren't catching as many passes. And then yeah. 2020, if someone's just looking at your stats, it seems like out of nowhere, you know, you should, aside from just not viewing you strictly as a run blocker, is there mm -hmm. any particular facet of Lane Kiffin's offense at Ole Miss that you think just worked really well for you? Yeah, really just like the tight end. So, I mean, the tight ends at Ole Miss now in Coach Kiffin's offense and Coach Levy's offense is more like a hybrid, like H-back type of tight end. So, it's a lot of a lot of motioning, a lot of like space blocking. Like, because our offense was so fast. So, it was just like, it was like quick, quick, quick. So, I mean, it also was great though because I got to, I played in four different offenses. So, I mean, I played in offense where we used two tight ends, where I was the pot, I had to run power. I played in the off and then playing in the office like Coach Kiffin, where it's like fast, like backside cutoff, insert blocks, uh, just just really just fast pace. It was really fast pace. So I mean, it 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 was fun, and I and I'm a I'm a fast player. I'm a fast tight end, so it just like really complimented me real well. Uh, you talked about a little bit there the change of pace, kind of between the two offenses. Do you think that was more of a Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss thing, or do you think that was more of an SEC thing? you know, just stepping into that higher was, level of competition. Do you it was definitely did, a, a Coach Kiffin and Coach yeah. Lebby, they that's just what they installed, instilled in us every day from well, – actually not from the first day I got there when we started installing the offense. It was like, we're going to go fast, we're going to go fast, we're going to go fast. So it was just always been – it was just always that way since I got there. Did the competition level as a whole, would you say, feel much different at an SEC school? Like – I mean, did you immediately notice a difference? Mm -hmm. 
I mean, when I got there, there was dudes that I seen like bench press and squat and crazy. Like, there definitely is a difference. Obviously, I mean, American Conference on SEC, you got your four and five stars in the SEC. But I mean, I always knew that I, I always knew my capabilities really. So, I mean, when I got there, I just grinded hard. As soon as we started off season workouts, I just wanted to prove to everybody and prove to myself that I belong, and w- which I did. So I felt, and I felt like I did. So. I mean, yeah, the I really feel like the comp, the level of talent is the same, but people are just bigger. That's really that's really how I felt because yeah. I, I was at Temple and we had a lot of players that played in the NFL, like Hassan. I don't know if you know any Hassan Reddick, Hawkins, yeah. Rocky Asin, Raquel Armstead, PJ Walker. I played with a bunch of studs. So, I mean, it was just like I just knew that I was capable of it, really. So when I got, I just I just had to turn it up a notch. So. We talked a little bit about Lane Kiffin. Um, he has a reputation around college football as being one of kind of the more charismatic coaches in the game. I'd say he seems to be one of the more popular coaches. Um, do you think he kind of earns his reputation as a player's coach? Yeah, definitely earns his definitely earns his reputation. I mean, Coach Kiffin was honestly one of my favorite head coaches I've had um, at Rule. I had Jeff Collins and I had Rod Carey and then Coach Kiffin. So Coach Coach. Um, Kiffin is definitely up there for sure. I mean, I loved uh, – I mean, he doesn't talk much. He honestly talks more than he does on Twitter than he does in person, I'll be honest with you. He's, he's one of the coolest people I've been around, and I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot from Coach Levy. And just, like, the environment that he also created with our team also, like, it was, like, a family environment. Like, every Friday before we would have our games on Saturday, we'd have, like, a fast-paced walkthrough, and the coaches would be out there playing, like, baseball together just, like – just like just like having fun really and it was just like a fun environment it wasn't like so up uptight like our strength coach our head strength coach Wilson Love he brought like the energy the juice like coach coach Kiffin really gave him the leeway to do that and it was just fun like it was just I had so much fun honestly looking at uh some of your more important games this season uh a lot of people had your early season matchup with LS with Alabama excuse me highlighted obviously one of the top teams in the nation um mm-hmm. People kind of expected a blowout from Bama. You know, people didn't really expect you guys to be able to hang with them. And, I mean, the offense especially, you guys ended up with, what was it, like 48 points against Alabama? Yeah, we scored points on them, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, (laughs) what was that like for you guys? Um, Did that week of preparation feel much different because you were going up against Alabama or – um, Um, things just kind of the same? No, I mean, we really treated every week like – it was a championship, like we, because, I mean, I wasn't there the year before that, so I know a lot of the dudes were tired of losing. So it was just like, hey, every week we're gonna treat it like a championship, and we're just gonna prepare the same way. So I mean, honestly, the Alabama week, we really didn't even prepare that much different. I'm gonna be honest with you, we prepared the same way that we that we did every week. I all right, uh, I do believe you that you would have prepared the same for that, but <laughs> I gotta ask the Mississippi State game, the Egg Bowl. It's mm-hmm. got to be different going into that game. I mean, oh, yeah. 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 How, def- important, how important would you say it is for guys on the team uh, to win that game? And, again, just, like, how different is the week leading up to Mississippi State compared to everything else? So the difference was just, like, really – I remember Tom Luke. So he was one of our director of player personnel. He came and, like, literally talked to us. And I could see, like, because I'm not from Mississippi. I'm from Pennsylvania, like, up north. So it really, really means a lot to people from Mississippi, like Ole Miss fans versus Mississippi State fans. They're really, really mental. I remember he was up there, like, literally in tears, like, we need to win this game. Like, I want to win this game. That bad. He was like, I would not, if someone offered me a Maroon 2021 Escalade, I would not take it because of Maroon. Like, that's how bad they hate Mississippi State. Like, they hate him so much. So, but yeah, that week was definitely interesting. It was fun though because, like I said, I'm not, I'm not from down there. So, like, I never knew that rivalry was that big until I got to Ole Miss. So, I mean, preparing for them, it was just like, and they also lost last year, and you know how they yeah. lost. Like, so. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about that next. Yeah. Um, was was that kind of a sore subject, or uh, were guys uh, in the locker room giving Elijah more yeah. shit for that? It was just kind of, it was really kind of a known thing. It wasn't like a. No need to say it. No need to talk yeah, about. It. Yeah. Just like everybody just known, and everybody just knew what it was really, and just so yeah. I mean, I feel like that was fuel to the fire, also, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Losing that way, I would have to imagine you'd come back this next year, especially for a guy like Elijah Moore to want to just really go out and torch Mississippi State yeah. and just win that game, which 
you guys obviously did. Um, what would you say the trash talk actually in game in the Egg Bowl is like compared to other games? Is it is it much different, or are guys really getting into it? You know, it's crazy. No, I mean, from what I remember, I really don't remember like their D linemen like at least talking that much to us. I mean, they were they were bringing it, like they were bringing it, they were hitting and stuff like that, like their linebackers were. But I mean, honestly, every game was a dog fight, but. I mean, they they were talking some trash, but I mean, it, it it's like every other team in the SEC, honestly. So, yeah, yeah, it was that. So more recently, um, you just got done with the Senior Bowl. Uh, you mentioned your relationship with Matt Rule earlier. Uh, what was it kind of crazy to you that you got to play under him on his uh, with the Panther staff on your Senior Bowl team? I was actually I was on the Dolphin I was on the Dolphin staff. Oh, you were. Yeah, I was. I, yeah, on, I was. I was looking on the uh, website before this to try and double check. It said you were on the. Um, I think the uh, American team with the Panthers staff. No, nah, I'm not on, sure why it said that. Yeah, yeah I was. On, I was on the national team, but, but I mean, it was cool to be able to see him. I saw like literally. I know like their whole coaches have the wide receivers mm-hmm. coach, Coach Frizz. I know the corners coach. Um, assistant special teams coordinator. I know the defensive coordinator, linebackers. So it was just cool just to see all, all of them again and just, like, get to talk. I mean, seeing Coach Rule, he was happy to see me. He hasn't seen me in, what, like, three? He hasn't seen me in, like, three, four years. Yeah. Older now, too. Like, I'm not a kid no mm-hmm. more when he got me when I was 17 years old at Temple. So, I mean, it was just cool. It was really cool just to be there and just, like, see them and really just talk to them, honestly. It was real fun. Uh, so on the field at the Senior Bowl, how did how did you feel walking away from it with your performance? Um, do you feel like you did well? Um, you know, I I'm just wondering because you know I don't know what kind of expectations you had for yourself going in against mm-hmm. that different group of talent. Yeah, I mean, I had the expectations going in that I was gonna kill it, and I mean, honestly, I feel like I did. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot. I mean, it was really like a lot of learning on the fly, having to learn the Dolphins. Uh, playbook and just learning like their different techniques and just learning different things. So, I mean, I feel like I did adapt to it well. I made some plays. Um, I mean, just like everybody else, sometimes you, you don't, you sometimes don't perform in some aspects that you don't, you wish you could have did better. So, but honestly, like overall, and then I had like a touchdown in the game overall, I really felt like I, I had a real good week. Um, even preparation with like talking to like different scouts and I had good interviews with people good interviews with different teams um yeah it was a real real cool experience honestly just like to be down there just being a part of the senior bowl the whole Reese senior bowl thing it was a real real cool experience honestly yeah so you mentioned it there uh my next question was going to be you know did you meet with any teams during the senior bowl have you spoken with any sense uh what's that Mm -hmm. been like for you yeah so i'm we met with every team i met with every team um uh, the Giants head coach was in one of my meetings. The Steelers head coach was in one of my meetings. Um, oh, no, not the Steelers head coach. The Steelers GM was in one of my meetings. And, yeah, it was just like meeting with everybody, pretty much just getting basic information, asking us different questions, um, asking tough questions, asking easy questions, really some weird questions. Um, but, yeah, I've been, in t- I've been in touch with, like, the Giants still the Saints, the Colts, the Chiefs, the Patriots, so a bunch of different teams that have been still messaging me and, like, talking to me here and there, but, yeah. Yeah, fun. so I'm a Rhode Island guy. I'm a New England Patriots fan, so I did see the report a couple weeks oh, ago that from, you had – Yeah, I am from Rhode really? Island. I'm from Rhode Island. I'm, yeah. Well, I, yeah. I saw that. You're from uh, <laughs> Providence, right? That's what it said in your uh, Wikipedia, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm from Newport. I don't know if you uh, – I know no, Newport, but all right. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like Rhode Island, we're just always getting disrespected. It's really not so bad. Always, always. That's why Quiddy, you know Quiddy? Quiddy yeah, 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 yeah. Quiddy. He, um, I, uh, little League with Quiddy, so I know Quiddy. Yeah, um, when he was at um, Hendrickon and he was still playing running back, I was in middle school and I went to see him play at my high school and I think he ran for like, 350 yards and they beat us probably like 50 to 10 yeah he yeah he's a baller he's a baller um so yeah i i did see the reports last week that you had conducted a zoom meeting with the patriots um i was gonna ask were these reports accurate you had just mentioned it um would you be able to get into 
exactly you met with? You know, did did you have any first impressions coming out of that interview, or just overall thoughts how it went? Oh, uh, it was it was really kind of basic, honestly. It was just a, I mean, not basic, but it it was like just asking me different information, asking me about myself. Uh, drew up some plays, talked about some plays that I ran through last year. So it was pretty much just like it was just like that type of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um. So you just got done with the Senior Bowl, obviously the next step in this pre-draft process would have been the combine. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been canceled. How disappointed were you when you found out about that? I feel like for a lot of guys, they really look forward to that. Yeah, I was, I was really looking forward to that. Honestly, I'm, I'm sad that it was, it got canceled. Honestly, I mean, watching on TV last year, I remember like, dang, I, I'm going to be there. Like telling myself I'm going to be there. And I had the opportunity to be there because I got invited, but I mean, they're not having it, so I'm not going to be there. But, I mean, it is what it is. It's it's just something, I mean, going to have to live with and just move on to the next thing, just wait. And I'm just eager and just waiting for Pro Day to be able to go out there and just perform real well. Yeah, so obviously no combine makes your Pro Day way more important than a normal year. Uh, yeah. You guys have years scheduled for March 25th, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, how, how are you currently preparing for? Where are you training right now? Are you training with any other prospects just to kind of make sure you're ready? Yeah, I'm I'm in Exos at Pensacola. So right now I'm training with like KJ Britt from Auburn, Charles Snowden from Virginia, Monty Rice from Georgia, um, who else? Trey McKitty, another tight end from Georgia, Florida State. Um, Jimmy Moresi, Jalen Mayfield from Michigan. So there's a I mean, there's a bunch of dudes down here. There's some bunch of great dudes down here. Also, two, uh, we're training with three Ohio State guys, Baron Browning uh pete werner and trey sermon so they're all down yeah. there down here also with me and it's great competition every day honestly just to be able to go out there and just watch the way they move watch the way i move and just like learn from them while they learn from me too so it's been fun have you guys been practicing uh any of the drills like do you have an expected 40 time or anything like that or is there kind of competition between the guys to see who's got the fastest yeah i mean the last time I ran my 40, I ran a 460. So, uh, but it was laser. It was laser time too. But I mean, at pro, our pro day is going to be hand time. So mm-hmm. probably run like a 4.5, high 4.5, mid 4.5. But I mean, I still got a couple more weeks just to get my stance and like a bunch of things ready just to perfect it. So I mean, I could even, it could even go down even more, honestly. Um, and then also, yeah, we've just been working on our five ten fives and then our L drills also. So those are the three things that we work on. So usually like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we work on linear speed. So like the 40 and then Tuesdays and Thursdays, we work on like the L drill and then the shuttle. All right. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, man. I'm, I'm out of questions, unfortunately. Um, I really do appreciate you taking the time. And uh, I'll let you go here. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, Dan. Thank you, bro. I appreciate you. No problem. All right. And once again, a huge thank you to Kenny Yaboa for taking the time to hop on the podcast. Uh, It's cool to sit down with a guy like that, you know, a guy who is entering the draft this year. You know, it's coming up. We're paying attention to it so much. It is really interesting to be able to talk to a guy who could potentially, you know, end up on the Patriots, a guy that we'll probably see in the NFL next year. So, Um, For me personally, when I was looking into Kenny um, before the interview, I was familiar with him. But, you know, I was just looking at statistics, things like that. They don't really jump out to you in my mind. But when you then watch his film, I mean, he can he just makes plays like these Kyle Pitts type plays where he's he's not really playing like a tight end. He's playing like a big wide receiver. Um, I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on Yaboa when you looked at Yeah, him. I mean, when you throw on the tape, you, like you said, uh, he's definitely a very athletic tight end, but he's also really good in the run game too. He's uh, definitely a capable run blocker, and I definitely admire his competitive attitude. Like he said, when he uh, transferred from Temple to Ole Miss, it was because he wanted to face better competition. So definitely something I like to hear from him. And another thing that's uh, popped out to me from his stats is his 19.4 yards uh, per reception in 2020, which obviously we need, the Patriots need some kind of guy that can get up the middle of the field like that. So I think he could fit in that spot. And uh, one more thing too, is him being six, five, that's a great red zone threat. Another thing that the Patriots have been lacking over the last few years. So yeah, he looks like a really good, um, really good prospect and maybe he'll end up on the Patriots. Yeah. He had a really good game against Alabama too. 
I think he had, what, like 180 yards. And then he's also played with yeah. uh, pretty good or coaches like Matt Rule, Wayne Kiffin. And I think Belichick has a relationship with Kiffin. So be interesting to see if the Pats are interested. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that there's definitely going to be moves made at tight end for us. Just, you know, talking about Yaboa, one thing, another thing that I did really like about him, uh, he was talking about his 40 time. I think he said the last time he ran it was a 4-6 with the laser time. And he said that, you know, he still has to, like, work out his stance and things like that. So it's probably going to end up faster than that. Um, you know, for a team whose receivers just can't create separation, obviously, to have a tight end that's got some pretty decent speed like that is going to help you out a lot. Um, in addition to, you know, maybe looking at the later round of the draft with a guy like Yaboa, uh recently, we've seen a lot of a lot of moves made with the tight end market. Kyle Rudolph got cut. Jared Cook got cut. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on what the Patriots could look to do at tight end this offseason? Well, I think it's wide open right now. Um, there's a lot of guys on the table, but I think it comes down to how much money Bill's going to want to spend. Over the last couple of days, we've seen guys like Kyle Rudolph and today Jared Cook getting cut. So I think as the days go on, we're going to see more and more veterans become available at maybe a cheaper price than they would be. So I think there's going to be a lot of options on the table. And who knows? I would love, I would love for us to make a big free agent splash in Hunter Henry maybe, but no one really knows what Bill's thinking. And the fact that you drafted two tight ends last year, both in the third round, it kind of, you're not going to go get Pitts at 15, even if he falls to 15, which I doubt is going to happen. I don't really see Bill making that move when you already made those draft picks last year. But I think you do need like a Rudolph or a Cook. I don't really know if Bill's going to want to spend that money on Henry that Adam touched on. You kind of just need that veteran presence in that locker room and hopefully give those guys some confidence and have a good rebuild for year two for those rookie or rookie tight ends that we just had this past season. Yeah. For me, uh, looking at free agency coming into these last couple of days, uh, you really only had Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith were the big names for tight ends. Uh, there's been a lot of rumors that Hunter Henry could get the franchise tag again. So he may not be even be an option. And if Johnny Smith's the top 10 market, he's probably going to get a contract worth a little more than we'd want to pay. Um, just because of the guys we drafted last year, I would say grabbing a veteran like a Kyle Rudolph or a Jared Cook or even uh, a Delaney Walker. He opted out of last season. He announced today he's going to be playing this year. Uh, just a veteran presence like that on a one-year deal. Someone where you know that if, once again, these young guys can't step up, you will at least have an option at tight end. But at the same time, if they can develop like they're supposed to, they'll just be gone next year. Clean break. Um I would say it's really unlikely that we draft a tight end high this year. Um, me personally, if Pitts falls to us at 15, if we don't take him, I'm going to seriously start to doubt Bill Belichick. I think that guy's a beast. I think there's also no way he falls to 15, but even like a Pat Fryermuth or Brevin Jordan, like a round two guy, I don't really think that's happening. I think if we do draft a tight end, it would be a guy like Yaboa maybe late day two, early day three type pick, just someone to come in and compete with these other guys. But I really think the best option is just adding a veteran on a one-year deal. Mm -hmm. My only concern with that is, is it's been really obvious how poorly our tight end position has performed over the last two years. And I wonder if Bill is almost fed up with having to try to rely on rookies and young guys to step up and play a bigger role than what they can. And maybe with that, he just says, screw it, and signs and throws money at Hunter Henry or Jonu because it's obvious how important the tight end position is to our offense, regardless of who's playing quarterback. And the lack of the lack of a actual good tight end over the last two years has made our offense really, really bad. I mean, to go against that, though, I mean, this is like the first time that the Pats really have had rookie tight ends since when they drafted Gronk and Hernandez back in 2010. I mean, they brought in veterans to go along with Gronk. I mean, they traded for Tim Wright. They had Scott Chandler. I mean, they brought back Ben Watson. So I don't really know to say if it's oh. fair to say that he builds fed up with the rookies. But I would say more just you kind of need that veteran. Not, not as like not fed up, but like, yeah, you're putting, you're putting all your eggs in a basket in a 41-year-old Ben Watson a few years ago. Like, where does that going to get you? And now you're putting your eggs in a basket for Matt Lacoste and Ryan Izzo. It's almost to the point where you can't keep trying to wait and wait for these guys to pop off and be what they can. You know, you almost just kind of want to spend that money to get the position that you know will perform the way you want it to. 
Well, I feel like in Bill's mind, when he's really trying to address a position for him, it's not so much, okay, I'm just going to throw money at it and, you know, go out and sign Hunter Henry or Johnny Smith to a huge contract. I think for him, it was, I'm going to solve this thing once and for all. I'm going to use not one, but two third round picks to get two guys I think will be successful here so that, you know, we're based, it's basically guaranteed one of them will work out. And, you know, through a year, we haven't really seen that. Um, I think if a veteran comes in, it could potentially be really bad for Devin Asiasi if he doesn't step up. Uh, Keen adds a lot more blocking. So I think even if you have like a Kyle Rudolph coming in and he's getting most of the pass catching reps that Kyle Keen, uh, Dalton Keen could still get a lot of blocking action. But I think for Devin Asiasi, it would be a bad sign if he gets outperformed this year. And the last thing to touch on on the tight end situation is I just do think that I know that it came out, like, especially after the Pats went into L.A. this year versus the Chargers, and you saw Belichick, like, meeting with Hunter Henry. Then it's just kind of just like you look at that thing and you say that they tried to trade for Kyle Rudolph last year. Two years ago, yeah. They trade for and no, I think Kyle Rudolph was this past season, and Jared Cook was when Gronk retired. Yeah, Cook Rudolph so was it, two years ago, and then Cook was a free agent. He had agreed with the Saints but hadn't signed, and we made like a last-second push at him, but he basically said it was the type of thing where like he felt like he had an agreement that he couldn't go back on. And those are the type of guys that you can put on your roster and not have to pay as much and I think that's probably the route that Bill's going to go as much as we'd love to see uh, John U. Smith or Hunter Henry I don't think Belichick's going to will to throw the bag at any of those guys um, but to move away from the tight end position a little bit I really do think that this is going to be the craziest NFL offseason that we've ever seen I mean it's already come out two weeks before like there's so many rumors like We'll go into it right now. Kyle Van Noy got released after a one-year deal. Rumors flying around today that Trent Brown is going to either get traded or get cut, as we touched on the tight ends. There's a lot of guys that, like, in a salary cap year, especially with COVID, how the market went down. I just think all these names within the next week, it's going to be, like, wide open. And I think that the Pats, for the first time in a long time, last opportunity for Belichick, Belichick, the brilliant GM, to have salary cap in a year like this. Yeah, I don't think you're going to see it slow down either, Kev. Um, this time of year, obviously, it's the franchise tag window right now. Even though we haven't seen anyone get franchise tagged, that'll probably come in the next few days. But now, as we're getting closer to the league year, you have a lot of guys whose guarantees are about to lock in. So that's why you see with a guy like Kyle Rudolph or a guy like Kyle Van Noy, they're getting cut now because – I think with Van Noy, he was something like a week or two weeks away from getting like 15 million more guaranteed. So you're going to see a lot of moves like that for teams to clear up cap space. And it's just going to make free agency more interesting. Yeah, it's a it's a really good position for the Patriots to be in right now with all this money, because like you guys are saying, we're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of highly touted veterans that are going to be cut just for teams to save money, which will allow us to hopefully sign some guys for cheaper deals you know, than we usually have. So it's really good for us to have all this money right now because we could, you know, go out and throw a lot of money at a top, top tier wide receiver or whatever it would be. But then we can also come back and, you know, pick up somebody who just got cut off a team, you know, maybe someone like T.Y. Hilton. I know he's not going to get cut, but someone along those lines. I, mean, I know he's not going to get cut, but someone yeah. along those lines. He's a T.Y. Hilton. I know, but I'm saying yeah. someone like, like him, like coming on the back end of his okay. career that can come, you know, help support our offense, you know, something like that can, that can just kind of boost our team up for not too much of a value, you know? Mm -hmm. And another one, another tight end, I know I said, let's go off tight end, but Zach Ertz is probably a really good chance of being available as well too. I know he had the down year, but if you're going to look at like production, it goes, I mean, I would put honestly Zach Ertz above, above Hunter Henry based off the track record. And I think that's someone that could be an appeal especially if you could get that guy for not as much as what his contract's been the last few years. Yeah, um, the just the injuries we've seen over the last couple of years do worry me with Ertz. I mean, that's the type of thing where, like, you see it a lot with tight ends where little injuries just start to add up and they just can't really stay healthy anymore. I'm worried that might be what's starting to happen with him. Uh, he's getting near the wrong side of 30. 
I do think, though, that his contract, if he's not a free agent next year, it's the year after. And I know that his contract isn't, like, super ridiculous because it was a big deal when Kelsey and Kittle got extended that then he wanted his extension and the Eagles didn't give it to him. So his contract shouldn't be anything too insane considering how good he was only, like, two years ago. But, yeah, that's definitely going to be something interesting to watch. Yeah, he is definitely an appealing option. But like you said, with his injury history, that's what kind of scares me about Hunter Henry, you know? Because I think the worst thing for me, in my opinion, would be for us to finally spend money on a big free agent. Finally, we have something to get around, build our offense around, and that person to be injury prone and get hurt all the time. That's the last thing we need to deal with on our team, you know? Yeah. So going uh, – go ahead. Sorry, yeah. I was going to say something really quick. I was just going to say that I think the difference between, like, why Patriots fans get so upset is because Bill usually doesn't throw the bag at players. But at the same time, if you really think about it, all those teams who throw the bag at these players, they're not good. They just have, like, that one guy. And then the rest of their salary cap screwed, and they can't work around the other 52 pieces on that team. So I think that Bill will try his best to just get a lot of good football players, like guys he knows that are going to be consistently good, not superstars, just guys that you can win around, not just throw $20 million at Allen Robinson trade for Jimmy, pay Jimmy $25 million, and then you have $15 million left to work with. Like, that's not going to happen. I think a lot of Patriots fans have that expectation that you have, like, 60 to $65 million. I bet you by the time that we actually get rolling two weeks from now, I bet you they'll be up to 70 I think they're going to make some moves to give them as much space as they can as possible so they don't have to worry about it for letting players slip or fall to other teams. But I just think you're going to get a lot of average guys, good players that people are going to be upset about. And then I think it'll end up working out. Never will be like Belichick, the GM is back. Well, speaking of teams just throwing money at players, I mean, that was the Miami Dolphins last offseason. They gave Byron Jones like $80 million. I think they gave Shaq Lawson and Eric Flowers like 30 And they gave Kyle Van Noy $51 million to leave the Patriots. And you look at them now just a year later – already regretting that contract. Um, Obviously, the reports came out he was getting cut. Uh, The Dolphins have now kind of taken a step back once they realized how much interest was around him and that they could probably trade him for something. Um, Now all the rumors are coming out. Could the Patriots trade to get him back? Uh, Van Noy's liked some tweets about that. We saw the McCourty twins tweet something out insinuating a return for Van Noy. What are your thoughts? I would welcome Kyle Van Noy back with open arms, man. We were missing a playmaker like him last year. I know we had a lot of opt-outs and a lack of consistent linebacking core, but having him back and combined with, you know, getting Chung and Hightower back, man, that would be really good for our defense and just kind of, you know, as a just from a, a Patriots morale standpoint as a fan. But, you know, it would be really cool if he came back because that would just mean I can start wearing my boogeyman shirt around again. Yeah, see, that's my thing, though. Like, this dude completely jinxed that whole season. He completely jinxed it. And, like, there's some stuff that Van Noy did say, like, when leaving. Like, he did throw some shade at the Pats. It is what it is. But, like, we can all agree that that was probably one of the biggest, like, steals of Belichick's trading Oh, definitely. Like, Van Noy completely popped off. He was a Patriots system guy. But at the same time, like, this is – you drafted – Uche, you drafted Andre Jennings, you have Winovich. Like, I think that if you do go get Van Noy, you're not going to pay him. Dude's going to want to be paid because, I mean, he just signed that big contract four years, $51 million, gets cut after one year. I think he, what, made $15 million that one year. So he's going to want money unless he wants to do a one-year prove-it deal. But at the same time, you're just taking time off those young guys that you drafted. We saw a lot of potential in Uche towards the end of the season, bearing that he's healthy because obviously we didn't get to see him the first half of the season. So are you willing to risk a year of Uche's like, progression in the league for Van Noy being upset about his play time? Or do you think Van Noy will understand the system? Well, I don't think that necessarily bringing in Van Noy means Uche hits the bench. We switched to a four-linebacker set a couple years ago, um, and we tried out a lot of different things with that this year. I think with John Simon potentially leaving, Chase Winovich can step up into his spot as more of a defensive end rather than an outside linebacker, and then we can go Bentley and Hightower in the middle, 
and Uche and Van Noy on the outside. And I think that would be a great system for us. Um, I think that linebacker is still a pretty big need for us going into the draft, going into free agency. And I think bringing Van Noy back basically addresses that right away. Yeah, I, I completely agree with Dan. And you can say that uh, Van Noy would take some playing time away from the younger guys, but that linebacking core really needs a veteran in there to, you know, teach them the way and just get them going. So I think Hightower's coming back, boy. But having Hightower and Van Noy to be Yeah, awesome. but even still, Hightower – you had all those rumors about his retirement. This is the last year of his contract. Shut up the spike. Like, how, the way. Yeah. Did a, did a good job with that. <laughs> High Tower retired. And Marcus. <laughs> but, that was another thing, too. Van and Noy, Marcus Cannon. Had, uh, Van Noy commented. Did you guys see that video, Marcus Cannon, that he posted on Twitter? No. Dude, this is – I mean, really – This is. I will say credit where credit is due. Like, literally, at, like, we reported, like – he reported Cannon was retiring and everyone clowned him. And then up until a couple of weeks ago, basically everyone was like, oh, yeah, he's definitely going to retire. So that was one that like kind of came out of nowhere. And I honestly think he probably changed his mind to come back just because all the other opt-out guys were. But So go ahead, a Kevin. quick little thing. So then I, one thing I didn't know is that Marcus Cannon has a Twitter and he, he has 310 <laughs> followers, right? He's probably posted like maybe one thing, and one of the things was was at my son's baseball game, but go frogs. But the other one that he posted like yesterday was him squatting five hundred pounds, and that was what Van Noy commented on. But I just think like that speculation, like he touched on, and with Cannon that return, I just thought it was funny. Never knew Marcus Cannon had a Twitter or was a social media guy. <laughs> How many followers you said he has? 300? 310. We got to give him a shout out or something, man. But Can... speaking of Marcus Cannon really quick, that does help his him returning. Me and Dan were I talking think, about yeah. this. Like that, you can let Tooney walk now because you can put on Wenu at guard to replace Tooney. And then your line set. Cannon at right tackle. Yeah. Cannon at right tackle. And then, I mean, when the when those other guys had to st- – I mean – Jermaine Illuminar, before he got that pretty like significant injury against the Broncos, he was doing great at right tackle. And then we obviously had to switch on Wenu over, and he did great too. So like he's going to be a solid backup on our line. Justin Heron had to come in a couple times last year when Isaiah Wynn went out. He's going to be a solid backup at our line. I'm, you know, I'm sure that we're going to take a couple guys in the draft because it's just always good to have line depth. But, yeah, I – Originally, I was kind of rooting for Marcus Cannon to retire just because the I think it would create cap. it would yeah it would create like nine or ten million in cap space and with Onwenu doing so well, it just seems like we don't need him. But um, yeah, I mean Tooney can leave, and if Cannon plays, you know unless he's really bad, our line shouldn't take too much of a step back. I I completely agree with what you guys are saying. I got, I got nothing else. You guys kind of hit it all on the all on the hammer right there. All right, then we'll move on to the next big story this week. It kind of flew under the radar now that, you know, you saw that flurry of guys getting cut and linked to the Patriots and all that. But uh, Jeff Howe with The Athletic came out with an article talking about the current situation with Stephon Gilmore and the Patriots. He's going into the last year of his contract and essentially this offseason. The Patriots plan to approach him about an extension. If they can get him for fourteen to fifteen million a year, they'll re-sign him. If he wants seventeen million, if he wants to get paid like we saw Marlon Humphreys get paid, like we saw Jalen Ramsey get paid, they're gonna look to trade him. What do you guys think we should do with Stefan Gilmore? I would love to keep him if the price is right, just because the cornerbacks have been the strength of our defense over the last few seasons. And I don't know how I totally feel about J.C. Jackson being a complete number one corner. Obviously, I love him. He's an interception machine. He can hold his own. But in the times where Gilmore has been hurt and J.C. has to take over by himself, he does get burnt here and there. And he hasn't really shown to be like a lockdown number one, but it's pretty tough to live uh, live in the shoes of Gilmore when he's out. But over, like I was saying, with the cornerbacks being our strong suit of defense, it would just be a tough a tough break for us if we got rid of our best defensive player and probably the best player on our team, you know? It would just make our defense even worse, and and we that's the last thing we need is another position of need. So I would like to keep Gilly if it's possible. I don't really know if a team's going to pay Gilly $17, $18 million. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, he was a little banged up this year. He did miss a few games. Um, 
But I mean, at the same time, that could just like Gilmore could be one of those guys who's just a product of Belichick, and then it might Gilmore might fall into that like category of just former Patriot coaches that want to take a risk because they know how to use Gilmore because they saw how Belichick did it. But going back on what you said about you don't know if you could trust J.C. Jackson as number one corner. You've got to remember, though, at the same time, like J.C. Jackson, when Gilmore was out, didn't have a solid number two next to him. He had Jason McCourty and Miles Bryant go in and out. And the thing that made Gilmore so successful with us is that Gilmore usually covered the two and you would double the number one on the other side. So I think that's why Gilmore popped off more. So I think if they really did move on from Gilmore, I think there would be an opportunity for them that they would be willing to draft a cornerback with 15. We'd all lose our minds. Or you'd go get a veteran, someone that you can trust to cover number one and then double the number one and then have uh, J.C. Jackson cover the number two wide receiver. Yeah, I, I agree with the point you were kind of making there where a lot of people seem to think like, oh, okay, J.C. Jackson has finally come into his own now, so Gilmore can just leave, and then J.C. becomes our number one and everyone else moves up the depth chart, and it just doesn't even matter. That's not the case. Um, J.C. definitely, uh, it definitely helped when he was playing alongside Gilmore. Obviously, Gilmore missed games this year, and he still looked good, but I don't think that it's going to be the type of thing where we get rid of Gilmore and that's just it. We just roll with our current corners. I think that we would definitely look to replace him quickly, whether that's bringing in a free agent or drafting a guy high, like you said, which everyone would freak out about. There were some rumors recently after that report came out that the Packers and Cardinals may be looking to a trade for him. I don't know why, but I just got a feeling that the Cardinals might totally overpay for Gilmore. After signing J.J. Watt, I feel like they might have an offseason similar to what we saw from the Browns two years ago when they traded for Odell and they just brought in all these guys, all these big names, maybe overpaid for them, and people just had super high expectations for them, and then it just didn't really work out. I just get that feeling from them. So with the Cardinals signing J.J. Watt, I saw a tweet. I don't know how accurate it was because I'm going to check right now. But aren't they pretty low on cap after that move? Like I don't know I mean, if they could afford. I would. Gilmore. I would think so. But it's so it's thirty-one two years. So it's about okay. They have 11, and a half a year. They have eleven million dollars in cap space, and I do not believe that doesn't Gilmore even, is like seventeen but, or six. But that doesn't like, include JJ Watt. Uh, it might. So but, it doesn't know. But I'm looking at the every every team now, right so. now still has guys that they could cut or trade to relieve cap space. So, I mean, there's still, like, moves they could make uh, to grab him. But I think – I don't know. I just I just got a feeling that, like, other teams might – apparently we shopped him at the deadline and we wanted a first and nobody would give it to us. I got a feeling that other teams may be offering a second, maybe multiple seconds, and then the Cardinals will just come out of nowhere, offer us the 16th pick, and that'll be what gets it done. Yeah, um, just to touch on one more thing, I don't want to backtrack the, uh, the conversation, but I feel like getting rid of Gilly would be a lot easier if our second-round pick from 2019, Juwan Williams, was anything. Mm-hmm. You know, if he was any kind of player, I think we'd sit here like, yeah, you know, we get rid of Gilly, we have Williams developed, maybe he'll be ready to go and ready to take the next step. But unfortunately, Juwan Williams hasn't done a single thing, really, in his Patriots center so far in the first two years of his career. So. That's an, that's an unfortunate situation for the Patriots, but like I said, it would have been a lot easier if he was developing as he should be right now. I think that that guy is Miles Bryant. I think that's exactly what they want to do. I mean, Miles wasn't Miles Bryant? Didn't he make the original 53, or did he get called up no, early? We had, he got uh, called up no, pretty yeah, early, though, right? None of our undrafted free agents made the original 53. Everybody started on the uh, practice squad. It was like, and then within a couple days, guys went up. It was like, him, J.J. Taylor, um, guys like that, Isaiah Zuber. So, all right, so we talked about a lot of the positions and obviously key offseason, but there's one thing that we, we're still missing, and it's that quarterback. Reports came out today that the Patriots really aren't interested in the free agent quarterbacks that are out there, guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick, et cetera. And it's looking more likely that Cam Newton's going to be back. 
unless a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo or Marcus Mariota either get released or get traded. So that being said, if that does happen and Cam Newton does come back, you assume that Hoyer is probably gone. We would hope so, unless he wants to retire and be a quarterback's coach. Would that automatically just declare that Mac Jones is getting picked at 15 or the Patriots are going to trade with the Cowboys, swap that 15 and 10 gilly, gilly from Gallup, and we draft Trey Lance? Like, is that the direction that we're going to be heading in? Because every day we get closer, it seems like we're heading in that direction. Well, with the with that report, um, the other report that came out earlier in the week was that the Patriots are aggressively scouting the top quarterbacks in this class, like guys who aren't really in our draft range, which obviously means there would be a trade up. Um, I like that idea a lot. I was listening to WEI earlier today. They were talking about like if the Patriots will draft a quarterback in the first round, I guess a couple sources close to the team were saying that they wouldn't, but if the fit was right and there was a guy that they wanted, they would go all out to get him. So Who knows, maybe the Patriots have their eyes just for whatever reason on a guy like Zach Wilson, on a guy like Trey Lance, and they're just going to go all out to go get him. I could totally see the Patriots giving up what seems like way too much to go get a quarterback and everyone thinking it's a dumb move and then him ending up being like one of the best guys in the class. Yeah, but so you said, sorry, Adam, I'm going to cut you off really quick. So, Dan, you said that you listened to WEI today. Did yeah. you listen to the part of it when it was Jim Nagy or whatever you pronounce his last no, name? No, I didn't. Listen to it about like okay, two hours so ago when I was driving. He home. was on WEI. Uh, he was on WEI today, and uh, he talked about the quarterback that you just like the most, and the Mac Jones. Yep. And this guy is a really good college scout. Got to give him credit where credits due. And this dude absolutely loves Mac Jones. And to add on to what Devontae Smith said last week about Jalen Waddle, said the same. Jalen Waddle backed Devontae or Devontae Smith up and said that he likes Mac Jones. Okay, the one thing. So the more the edge we get closer, and you're gonna be upset. And when we draft Mac Jones at 15, Dan's gonna keep texting us, "Kill me now, <laughs> kill me now, fire Bill, fire Bill." And then week one's gonna happen. We're gonna have Cam, we're gonna have Mac Jones, and we're gonna have Stidham. And Mac Jones is gonna start, and Dan's gonna be like. Holy shit, Mac Jones, rookie, starting week one on Bill Belichick. He must be pretty good. Yeah. Okay, uh, Go ahead, Dan. Sorry. Well, let me, so, first of all, with the Jim Nagy thing, um, if you've been looking at, like, across the board what other scouts are saying, guys like Bucky Brooks, guys like Daniel Jeremiah, just across, like, there's a ton of, there's a ton of draft analysts. I'm not speaking yeah, about necessarily those guys specifically, but the opinions with Mac Jones are all over the place. There's people who legitimately think, I think Mel Kuyper went on first take yesterday and said that he could be a top five pick. And then there's other people that are more in line with my thinking where they think he's just going to be kind of a mediocre quarterback in the NFL. And unless you put a stack team around him, he's not really going to get you anywhere. There's guys that have Kyle Trask graded above him, which I think is kind of crazy, but people are all over the place with Mac Jones. And I just want to take you back to this time last year Do you remember when there were people talking about how Jordan Love is a lot better than Justin Herbert and the Chargers are going to pass on Herbert, take him sixth? Then he starts gaining momentum that he's even better than Tua. What ends up happening? He just goes at the end of the first round like everyone originally thought he would. This is the time of the year around the draft where guys randomly start rising and then they fall back down. I'm not necessarily saying that that's 100% going to happen with Mac Jones. I think he probably will end up in the top 15, whether it's us drafting him, us trading back with a team like Washington or Chicago so that they can go get him. But I think this is a time of year where you see a lot of reports coming out that are really just smoke screens by executives. Um, like we saw a couple weeks ago, some anonymous executive said Zach Wilson's higher on his board than uh, Trevor Lawrence. That's probably hey, Joe Douglas just trying to get the Jaguars on a Hail Mary to pass on Trevor Lawrence. There's no way that there's actually an executive out there that if on the clock, he would take Zach Wilson over Trevor Lawrence. You're going to see reports, so many different reports before we get to the draft. And 
I'm, I'm honestly excited for it. It's going to yeah. be crazy. You think the reports are bad now? They're just starting, man. You know, they're only going to yeah. kick up even more. We still got two more months. And my thing is, I know people are looking into it really deeply with uh, Waddle saying you uh, prefer uh, Mac Jones over Tua. But personally, I don't think it's that big of a deal because you look at these two guys play. If I was a receiver, I'd want Mac Jones too. He throws a better ball. He's more accurate. And he just He's just a better quarterback in general, especially in college, the way he throws. But to touch on what you were saying earlier, Dan, about the Pats possibly trading up for their guy, I like that. If they have their eyes on a guy, do whatever the hell it takes to go up and get him. Don't let, try, don't let someone fall into your hands and hope someone passes over a guy you like. If you have your eyes on someone, do whatever it takes to go up and get and that that um the idea of the Patriots sending Gilly to the Cowboys for Gallup in the tenth pick to draft uh, Trey Lance, I think that's a really good option for us if Lance was going to be available at ten, because even I'm really against it Cam coming back, but that's what it's looking like this year. You draft Lance, let him sit under Cam for a little bit, and they kind of have similar play styles. I wouldn't say they're totally alike, but yeah, Tr- no, Trey Lance, eh. yeah, Trey, Lan- Trey, Lance, like, Trey can- Lance runs more than run- a lot of people think he does, and he yeah. is more of like. He's, he's not like a Lamar Jackson. He's like you a physical. Arm, he's more of a. He's more of a. He's a Josh. Trey, Allen. He's though, more that, of a Josh Allen than a Cam. Yeah, Allen. I was gonna. Yeah, but I, yeah, I was Josh saying Allen. like in the fact where Lance could sit under Cam and actually learn something yeah. because they both run. You know. Yeah, but the fact that we just watched that year of Cam Newton and the fact that we draft a quarterback and we're gonna have similarities, it just yeah, no. Listen, the fact Dude, that we're even bringing Cam back Kev, is bad. But have you literally you just said, really you just disagreed with him that he's similar to Cam Newton. You can't tell me that when you watch Trey Lance throw a ball 60 yards down the field on the run that you go, oh, wow, that looks like Cam Newton this last year. Not this year, dude. I'm just saying. No, but you get my point. I think I think you you nailed it right on the head. I think Trey Lance, the perfect quarterback comparison is Josh yeah, Allen. Huge arm, comparison. physical runner. But the only real knocks against him would just be that he had a low competition level, and then with Lance more so than we saw with Allen. Yeah, it's inexperienced. I'm, I'm to be completely honest with you, I'm starting to like Trey Lance more than Justin Fields in this draft. I'm, I'm starting to get high on Trey Lance. But I think if we went up for a guy like Wilson, um, or if we wanted to move up into like the top five and get Fields, it would cost an arm and a leg we would definitely have to give up a future first. And that's something that a lot of Patriots fans don't want to do. They don't want to mortgage our future just in case this doesn't work out. But with Lance, I think really we'd only have to get in front of the Panthers at eight. I think the Lions at seven would be totally open to a trade back because they're not really looking for a quarterback with Goff there right now. Um, And I honestly don't think it would cost as much as you'd think to go from 15 to seven. I think it would maybe cost – our first this year, and then maybe our next two thirds, something along that line. I mean, I think that's so worth it if you're getting a guy that's going to lock up the quarterback position for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Justin Fields goes in the top fifty? Yeah, one hundred percent. I don't. There's no I way. Do not. I know he if falls. he's falling, there's no way that like Washington, he's falling, Washington, now, he's no, falling. but he is falling. But like some of the things people are saying about him are a little bit ridiculous. Like people now, all of a sudden, people are just like, oh, he like he just can't make a read. Like that's obviously not true. Like he was a starter on that, two teams so- that he took to the college football playoff. He's a Heisman finalist. If he couldn't read a defense. He wouldn't feel the tread water on Ohio State. He has he has issues with it, sure, but like I don't know. That's that's a more of a mental thing, and that's something that I feel like if he ends up in like Atlanta, sitting behind Matt Ryan, that's like something he could overcome. Whereas when you look at Mac Jones, and it's like, yeah, he doesn't really have great arm strength. Like that's not something he's gonna develop. Like it's probably always gonna be. So I think I think the one flaw that you can see in Fields' game. And it's not that he can't rate a defense. It's just that he's only locked in on one guy. He only looks at one yeah, read both people the say time. he can't go through his reads. So, right. So it's just like one of those things, dude, like that's not going to transition well in the league. And I think that's why he's going to Yeah, fall. that's why I was saying, honestly, like Lance has the inexperience, but I honestly just think so, he has so many of the physical tools that if we drafted him – I'd almost be more confident putting him out there day one just because I just think Fields would make more mental errors where Trey Lance just, I don't know, he just 
he might just like panic when the pocket breaks down or something. But I don't think you'll see as much of like holding onto the ball for way too long and like taking sacks uh, or just like throwing really bad interceptions, stuff like that. Yeah. Isn't it, isn't it pretty crazy how much things can just change in a matter of two months? It wasn't too long ago where people were talking about Justin Fields being taken over Lawrence yeah, in the first the, pick after, after that six touchdown game. game. Yeah. So at that point in time, everybody was on field saying he's the best in the draft. He might go number one, blah, blah, blah. And now we're sitting here talking about if he's even going to be and, here and in the top 15. And we still haven't even seen the pro days yet. Exactly. Just wait, it's just... just wait until Trey Lance and Zach Wilson go out there and you see some of the throws that those two can make. They're bo- it's it's going to change everything around their draft stock. Mm-hmm. Just it's a wild time to be alive right now, but it's exciting. So a question for you boys is, I think a lot of Patriots fans, and you can even say the media, I think everyone just automatically assumes that if the Patriots draft a quarterback in the first round, that guy is doomed to sit. Do you believe in that theory or do you think otherwise? I don't, uh, I think it depends on the guy. Um, I think that if it's Trey Lance, regardless of what team he went to, he'd have to, it would at least have to be kind of like a Tua situation where he sits like six games and then starts. Um, I don't think there's anyone we draft where we'd just be like, we're going to sit them all year. Um, but I, I think that really only Trevor Lawrence, which obviously we're not going to get him, and then maybe Zach Wilson would start week one. Don't stop believing. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, I got to agree with Dan here. Um, you know, it's uh, – I'm losing my train of thought. I'm sorry, boys. I totally, totally just lost my train of thought. Whoop. Your train of thought about if the Patriots would start oh, thank a you. quarterback – that they dropped in the first round. Yeah, I completely agree with Dan. Game if one. if the guy's ready to start, I think you can start him. But other than Lawrence, I think all the rest of the quarterbacks in this draft are going to have to sit for at least a few weeks behind whoever they go to. And especially a guy like Lance, who we keep talking about us possibly drafting. He's a very raw prospect and probably the most raw prospect out of all the quarterbacks that are going to go in the first round. So I think it would definitely benefit him at least the most to sit sit behind cam whoever's going to be playing quarterback for us this year but yeah definitely i i agree that someone should sit behind for at least uh, a few weeks to get going well kev also are you saying that like this is contingent on us like drafting a guy and signing cam or drafting a guy and signing alex smith or ryan fitzpatrick or something like that or are you saying if we draft a guy round one and stidham's there and he spent two years in the system and he knows the playbooks be- playbook better, he's just going to start week one. Because that I wouldn't agree with. I don't even think it – I don't think it really matters who's on that roster. I mean, obviously you want good competition. But at the same time, like say you bring in Jimmy Garoppolo, right, and you draft a Mac Jones or you draft a Trey Lance. Yeah. And Trey Lance is outperforming Jimmy in practice. But you automatically assume because it's a rookie quarterback – that the pre-assumption in the NFL is you sit that guy. And that's what everyone, every Patriots fan, what, that's what the media would say. You'd see tweets about it, how good this guy looks, but he's going to sit. But in my honest opinion, I think Belichick's going to put the best guy out there. Well, If Belichick thinks he's ready to go, I think that he would start week one, okay. regardless of so, who you So have. what I was really getting at there is, do you think there's, like, I was trying to ask, were you thinking that, like, if we draft a guy first round and Stidham's there, that Stidham would start? Because I don't, like, I don't think I it don't... would matter which first round quarterback it is. Even Mac Jones, who I'm not super high on, I think he'd start day one over Stidham. Okay. So that, like, yes, but I think that's also, like, every, I'm not saying I believe in that theory, but I see, you see on social media, you see Pats fans, you see, like, guys like Tom Curran, Doug Tye. They all think that no matter who you draft at number 15, if you don't trade up, that guy is going to Well, sit I just think also people forget that, like, most rookie quarterbacks don't start day one. Like, Justin, like, Tua was different because he was coming off an injury. Justin Herbert didn't start week one, and he would have been out longer if uh, Herbert started week no, one. Tyron Taylor started week one against the Bengals, and then uh, the, are you guys? Are you remember guys have the Herbert? team doctor stabbed his lung right before the game, and Herbert had to go out week two against the Chiefs. Took him to overtime. Herbert went in week. No, one. he didn't. You're thinking? Are you? No, he didn't. No, I am I'm positive, Kev. Tyron, I, th- I think I'm on the inside of this one, Kev. 
the team I, doctor stabbed Tyrod Taylor in the lung right before their week two game. And, like, as the week ball one. was no, it was week two. They played the Bengals week one because it was Burrow, Herbert, and Herbert didn't play. Sure? Yeah, look at this. Tyrod Taylor stats. Here we go. Two games played, one game started. That uh, was week yep. one. Oh, he did yeah. play week so, one. So he and he would have started for he was going to start week two if uh, if he didn't get stabbed in the lung like that. And who okay, knows sorry, how much sorry. longer. And then I remember even so after that I, game, so... Anthony Lynn said that Tyrod was still going to be their starter when he came back. Tyrod started the first couple games over Baker before he got hurt then. So I think yeah, no, I it's know. like more common okay, so... than people are actually like realizing. No, I'm the only reason I thought that was a week one thing because Herbert went on Pat McAfee's podcast a few weeks ago and like I was just listening to it and they made it like McAfee made it seem like it was a week yeah. one. So I just like listened to that and I was like, damn, that was like a crazy story. Like, you know, like opening like week one of the season to start, dude, you have no idea you're going to go in. But week two, that makes a little bit more sense. But no, you're right, though. I get it. But that's what I'm saying. The whole thing with the Pats, like, do you really think the Pats would just do that because everyone else does or do you think they would just play the best guy i think it just all like if we're bringing in a veteran with them like if it's cam if it's alex smith if it's ryan fitzpatrick if we're trading like a mid-round pick for mariota then i think that guy's probably gonna start um but if it's just we can't get anybody in free agency so we're kind of like all right let's just go all out for our guy and i don't know we trade up and draft trey lance at seven or whatever it is, and it's just him and Stidham in camp, maybe even Hoyer comes back, I think Trey Lance is probably starting week one uh, just because I don't think they have a ton of confidence in Stidham. And then, I mean, Hoyer, the last time he started, like that was just ridiculous against the Chiefs. Because the only reason you don't start a rookie right away because you think they're going to make mental mistakes. So you can't look at Hoyer against the Chiefs and say, oh, he'd be better to go out there. My only thing with that is, though, is would Bill Belichick dumb down the offense for a rookie rather than just putting a guy like Stidham in who knows the system and has been there for a couple of years for would. a few weeks? I don't think he would dumb the offense down, but I don't. I mean, it would obviously be an interesting situation because we've never seen it before. He's drafted really like one quarterback that started when he was while well, he's been in New England. It was Tom Brady, and he sat behind Bledsoe for a year because Bledsoe was the guy. You know and what Jimmy I mean? Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't exist. And no, but I mean, it wasn't point. like you understand what I mean. I they weren't long term no, starters. They were like a game here and there. Jimmy, no, Matt they Castle. wanted Jimmy to be the long term no, yeah, starter. No, yeah, That's the thing. But even then, it was like Jimmy was he was a second round pick. He was coming out of, if I'm not mistaken, Eastern Illinois. Like everyone, yep. he was he was a guy that like it was it was similar to uh, Jordan Love this past year, where it was like you probably have to sit him a year. So that's why he went to a team like the Packers because they already have Aaron Rodgers. So, like, Jimmy, he was never going to get drafted and come in right away. Like, he was always going to be sitting. I think Bill's plan was probably to sit him for two years and then put him in. Well, of course, especially under Tom Brady. Yeah. I mean, of course, you're going to Well, that's that. the point I'm trying um, to make. You did, bring, you did bring up an interesting name, though. Oh, I did, actually. Sorry. Jacoby Brissett. Mm-hmm. I think that's a realistic option that the Pats go with quarterback. I don't think I, I do think I don't think it's if they do release him, but I don't know if they will. Or no, he's a he's a free agent, Kev. No, I ninety nine percent sure he's a free agent. I don't think he is. Let's see if I'm gonna go two and zero today with Des and Tyron Taylor. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. I think you'd have to try. I think he's still on the contract. Cody Brissett contract. And he is a free agent. So Two there you go. Jacoby Brissett's a free agent. Um, I, I do agree that I think it's likely he could be brought in just because of the familiarity there. Bill obviously drafted them. Um, I think we all remember that Thursday night football game against the Texans when he looked like amazing. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's realistic. He comes back. I just don't, I don't see him being brought in to be our starter. I don't. I just don't really see that happening. But I do. I could see like we draft a rookie and then Cam goes somewhere else and then we bring in Brissett. Yeah, I definitely agree. So I do have a question for you, boys. 
you guys wanted it and you're going to get it. But don't worry, it's not one of those tough ones. Who do you want? Who's your top three for guys in free agency that you want the Patriots uh, to sign? Like realistic year? or just like, okay. So, realistic, yeah. Like real, like a Bill Belichick type of move. Okay, so if the Bengals don't put the franchise tag on him, I'd love Carl Lawson, the defensive end. Um, I think we could use an elite edge rusher like that, and I don't think he'll be crazy expensive, especially if Shalit Calhoun hits the open market. He'll get the big contract. Um, Corey Davis and Curtis Samuel. Those are two more guys who you've got Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin, Juju. They're going to get the huge deals, and then those guys are going to kind of go under the radar. And I don't know, hopefully they would come to a team like us. Curtis Samuel I'd love because he's just so versatile. Um, I mean, he played – he took reps at running back in college, and he's done that in the NFL. Uh, you can use him really well on jet sweep, stuff like that, and he's coming off like the best year of his career. And with DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson in Carolina, he might be looking to go somewhere where he'll get more reps. So I would say those three. All right, good start. Adam, For me, um, realistic possibilities. Uh, I'll start with John Smith. Um, I feel like he, he'll get paid a good a good dollar, but he won't be at the top top of the market. So, if we are feeling feeling that we need to throw some money at the tight end position, which I think we we should, then I would love John Smith as a Patriot. Uh, for my number two, I got to agree with Dan. Curtis Samuel will be awesome. He's such a gadget guy. He can do a lot for an offense, and I think him and McDaniel's would be really fun to watch together. And finally, for the third, I'll go. I got to agree with Dan again. Corey Davis, a guy, a young receiver out of Tennessee, who kind of had a tough start after being drafted uh, in the first round a few years back, but he kind of came together this year and had his best uh, season of his career. And I think he's only like 24, 25. So he's really young. He's finally going to get paid. And I think he could definitely be a, a really good number two, maybe even develop into a number one on our team. So, yeah, that's my three. Damn, so this is going to be kind of boring because I agree with Curtis. I actually agree with basically everything you guys said, but I think one name that's kind I of think I know who you're going to say that to. Like I really want Curtis Samuel. I think is that it a wide receiver offense. I don't think okay. you do. Maybe not. It's not the defensive guy, Leonard Floyd. Dude had ten and a half sacks for the Rams last year. He absolutely killed us. And I think that's a guy that you could get at a decent value. I don't know how much money he's going to try to demand, but that's a guy who I'd take I just over think that, Van Noy yeah, I, I would agree with that. I just think because of his age, um, you might just see a really competitive market for him. Um, and then I, I think it's always tough trying to get a guy from like a really, really good team or a team with kind of like a lot to look forward to, to like come here in the situation we're in now. Like the Rams, they just got Stafford. Um, people there are thinking that now they're going to have a Super Bowl window for a little while. So I just can't really see him leaving that to come to the Patriots. Whereas, like, you know, get a guy from the Panthers or the Bengals or something like that. Or if we got Van Noy from the Dolphins. But some guys, uh, they don't, you know, it's just wherever the money is. So we'll see what we do. Um, they just made like absurd moves. I remember they extended like Cooper Cup and Jalen Ramsey on the same day, and there was literally people like in the Twitter comments like, "How are you doing this?" And they, uh, and Aaron Donald like two years ago, his was like the record. And then now, well, I mean, obviously a big part of it was that Goff was making more than Stafford, so that was a big deal. So even with his dead money, it basically evened out, I think. Well, if unless you guys got anything else, I think we've kind of – this episode's kind of ran its course. Unless anything else from you guys? I'm all good. I think we, uh, we hit on every topic. I just, I just hope the Pats actually, you know, we'll talk before, but let's get the train right. rolling. I hope the Pats make some moves. Oh, big couple Thank weeks you guys us, that's for, for sure. tuning in. Big thanks to Kenny Yaboa once again for coming on for the interview. We really appreciate that. Uh, make sure you tune in next time.